We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash lawless. Just go to Indeed.com slash lawless right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed com slash lawless. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Hello, sunshine. I'm Alexi Lawless and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue colored glasses. This episode, we'll be talking Christian Pulisic moving, San Diego expansion, title races, plural, Dog show, Garber, firings, poisonings, galaxy meltdown, Joseph rising, Mukhtar leading, earthquakes rumbling, and so much more. But first joining me as always, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossier, soccer savant, and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Mossier, how you doing on this uh, Monday, May 8th in the year 2023, my friend? I am doing well. Busy day for me. As soon as we're done taping, I am off to LAX, flying to New York. Now, you are going to uh, visit family, right? Yep. And, uh, you know, you always have kind of excursions planned when you tell us about your trips home, not just spending time with family. you have anything interesting that you are going to do? You've told us about the possibility of, of seeing your basketball team play, but that's getting slimmer by the game, right? Yes, uh, I have tickets for a Knicks-Heat Game 7, but I don't think we'll even get to that point. The Heat are up 2-1. They smashed the Knicks in Game 3, and I think the Knicks are going to go quietly into the night, and we won't even get to a Game 7, but... Um, I do also have tickets to a Broadway show, Leopoldstadt, which is getting great reviews. So looking forward to that. And yeah, we have several other activities planned in New York City. If your team does not play, you get your money back, right? Correct. Okay, good. You can't buy tickets to a game that actually doesn't end up happening, I wouldn't think. Uh, did you watch anything? Or, uh, I mean, I know you got your, your, your Sunday night special, right? Well, uh, I went to a baby shower oh, on wait. Sunday afternoon. Okay. Uh, that was terrific. My friends Jordan and Missy are having their first baby. Very exciting for them. <laughs> hey, what'd you buy for them? Oh, lovely gift. This. Uh, well, hold on. I mean, we'll be the judge of that. Go on. What, what'd you get? It's like a baby seat for them to set up for him whenever they're going out to eat or something. It's a, No, no, it was... <laughs> what do you mean? Like a, a booster seat? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, no, no, they were quite happy How did with you, it. Did you just go and pick this out uh, or was there a list? Re registry. Oh, yeah. okay. So, you know, all right. Um, so I had that, and then I watched uh, Succession, uh, which was another terrific episode on Sunday night. I can't wait to talk to Kat Donnelly about it. Hopefully she is caught up. Um, you know, season four of The Sopranos, uh, the finale, it's called Whitecaps. Mm -hmm. 
that's considered the high point of that show from an acting standpoint. The Tony and Carmela scenes in that episode when their marriage was falling apart. And I got that same sensation with Tom and Shiv this time around. Hopefully I didn't spoil anything for Cat, uh, but they really had it out in this episode and it was quite the gripping scene. All right. How many more episodes are we, are we have at? Uh, three left. Three left. Oh, it's coming down to it. Uh, let's see. What did I uh, watch? I can't remember it when we went through all the Oscar stuff, if you mentioned this, but I finally got around to watching the 2023 Oscar documentary winner, um, Navalny, uh, about Alexei Navalny, the uh, Russian opposition leader who was poisoned, uh, didn't die, but was poisoned by, uh, you know, the Putin regime. And it's just, a, it's incredible. I understand exactly why it won the Oscar. It's, and I'm not giving anything away. I think it's on HBO right now, but or HBO Max. And uh, at one point, they literally have him kind of crank calling um, in a much more serious way, his would-be assassins and getting them on the phone and having them explain how they put the poison in his underwear which then affected him, but they didn't plan on the, the plane that he then got on diverting and, and saving his life. Unfortunately, uh, he went back to Russia, at which point he was un, not surprisingly uh, arrested and he remains in jail uh, to this day. So it's, it's, a, it's an incredible uh, documentary. I saw it. I yeah. found it riveting as well. So yeah, I'm with you. Um, the other thing uh, I wanted to mention, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's dog show weekend and long weekend, uh, if you will. So there's a big evening or evening viewing day viewing in my family including uh, the late great bob lawless uh, who was always a huge huge fan of the uh, westminster uh, dog show and you can see it by the way on all the fox uh, channels and it's uh, saturday monday tuesday if you're listening to this uh, tuesday the best in show will be happening on uh, on tuesday and it's always just it's an amazing thing you think about it and you think oh, this is kind of a stupid thing and then once you start watching it you just become enthralled with all the different breeds and all the you know, the best in show, the the mockumentary that came out years ago, really captured it in many ways. And certainly talking to a lot of our colleagues that work it, it is all that and more. But there is also, uh, I think, in general, um, a willingness to laugh at themselves uh, just as much as, as we may be laughing at it. And ultimately, whatever laughter you have turns into just incredible love and appreciation and, um, you know, just the awesomeness of what the dog show can be. Yeah, we're actually shorthanded today. Kaz, a member of our team, is working the dog show. And a few years ago, I actually had to do some writing for the dog show. Oh, really? And the way it was explained to me by the producer at the time was, he said, have you seen the best in show? I said, yeah. He said, they're even crazier than that. So <laughs> do your research. You better get all the terminology right as far as the different types of dogs and the different events. Oh, yeah. it's uh, it, I, I just love it. And like I said, my wife is, she just goes crazy for it. Uh, and Fox actually sent us, I should have brought it in, but they sent us a box of, of swag and stuff. I should, have be, I should be wearing it right uh, now. So they're always up on it because it gets great ratings uh, and it's just a wonderful, fun thing. And a lot of people like John Strong and uh, Jenny Taft and stuff, uh, Zach Kenworthy, all these folks are actually there right now working it. So it's uh, you know, a bucket list type of thing for a lot of these uh, people. Uh, Red light this candle, my friend. Let's do all it. Right, all sorts of soccer to talk about. Where do you want to, by the way, breaking news when we come on the air. So we probably should start there. Right. Yes. Uh, this is Black Monday for MLS coaches. <laughs> We've had uh, two firings already. The Red Bulls parted ways with Gerhard Struber, which is not surprising. They're in last place in the East. One win in 11 games. The final straw for him was a 1-0 defeat away to Philadelphia this past weekend. So Struber out the door. 
Uh, yeah, like you said, not surprising. Uh, what will be interesting is because of the unique structure of Red Bull, where they go, uh, they they tend to promote from within or promote people that they have an association with. I mean, I'm not sure that Jesse Marsh is thinking about this, but you know, it could be a return for Jesse Marsh if that's something that he wanted to do. I think there will be uh, people in the organization that uh, get they get the look, but it. It didn't go well, and it didn't seem it was heading in the right direction. So this, I think, is is completely uh, justified. And thank you, Mr. Struber, for the time that the, that you had. And you know, he'll he'll go back to Europe and he'll do some stuff. Also, didn't handle that Dante Van Zier situation. I don't think that right? had anything to do with it. I honestly, I don't think that that had anything to do with it. If if there were better results, I think that would have washed uh, washed out. Then we come to find out uh, another uh, change. Yes, uh, Chicago fired Ezra Hendrickson. They are second to last in the East, just two wins in ten games. The final straw for him was a three zero defeat to Nashville. Hani Mukhtar with a hat trick. So Ezra Hendrickson out the door as well. Yeah, I mean, look, Chicago, we know, uh, is not the easiest place, but they've spent money. They've rebranded now multiple times. They're playing downtown at Soldier Field. Um, and it's just, it has not, it, it has not happened in terms of both the results, which is ultimately what Ezra is going to be judged upon, or, or I just think the return to relevancy. I don't know that, that what the Chicago fire once was. And I don't know if that's ever going to change or how that changes, but from a soccer perspective, this certainly has not been uh, good enough. And like you said, 14th place uh, in their 10 games, two wins, three loss, uh, three ties and five, uh, three losses and five ties, just not good enough uh, from, uh, uh, from a Chicago standpoint. Now, these things usually come in threes, Mossy. And uh, so far, like we said, we're recording this on Monday morning. Nothing else has happened and you still have... You know, KC we'll talk about in a second. You still have Peter Vermes sitting at the bottom of the Western Conference and Greg Vanny with the uh, LA, uh, LA Galaxy sitting at 13th place. And I think I would even throw Bob Bradley sitting at 13th place with, uh, with Toronto out there in terms of being on the, uh, on the hot seat right now. So, there, you know, there's still potential for moves. And again, I want to reiterate, I don't want anybody to lose their job. It not only affects them individually, but affects their their family. And there's so many other things. And it is a, you know, it's a personal and emotional type of thing. Anybody that's been through it in any capacity, it's not fun. It's not good. Sometimes one door closes, another one opens up. And I think any coach, whether it's Ezra or Stuber or anybody else out there, recognizes that you are hired to be fired. And, you know, I'm going to talk more about the uh, the Hall of Fame induction that happened this past uh, weekend in uh, in Dallas. And it was uh, it was interesting to hear some of the speeches, including because Jill Ellis went in, uh, including talk about how you're not a you're not a coach until you've been fired. And that certainly applies. And if, you, if you're a coach long enough, you will probably get fired multiple, uh, multiple times. But it still doesn't make it any easier, I, I don't think. All right, what else, Mossy? I think there's some other uh, off-the-field uh, news that's, uh, that's broken over the last few days. Yes, some expansion news. Uh, lots of stories that San Diego is poised to be announced as the next location for uh, the 30th MLS team. So San Diego has long been a market that, I think has been, I don't want to say coveted. It, it is a good market. It's a soccer market. It has an incredible history, um, but it's always kind of been there in the mix. And so now that this is, uh, I mean, by all accounts is going to happen and is going to, again, by, by accounts be announced very soon. I don't think that should necessarily come as surprise that it comes at, I don't and again, maybe not at the expense, but a lot of folks were talking 
Vegas, Vegas, Vegas. And Vegas still might come in uh, later, but that this is the next one. And by the way, for the rumored $500 million uh, expansion fee, that's a good thing. And look, another team in California, more rivalries when it comes to the Galaxy and LAFC up and down that uh, that five freeway, if you will. And, uh, you know, an Egyptian billionaire type of uh, owner who is going to... Uh, um, Again, by the uh, by the accounts that we are reading, going to be the ownership group and and playing in the in the same stadium down there. The uh, I can't remember the name of it, Dragon Stadium or whatever uh, down there. That's uh, Snapdragon Stadium that uh, San Diego plays at and uh, and the Wave play at and stuff like that. So there is a soccer thing going on down uh, going on down there, and I think that this is a good addition to MLS. At this baby shower I was at this weekend, there was a couple that used to live in LA, now lives in San Diego, David and Julie, good friends of mine. They were really trying to sell me on moving to San Diego. They love it. Uh, have, so, you, have you spent much time in San Diego? Have you been to San Diego? I have, but haven't spent too much time there. It's beautiful. There. It's, it's beautiful. beautiful. Ask yeah. Warren Barton. I mean, he'll, he'll have you yes. hooked up with a house and ready to go in, yep. uh, in no time. So, all right. Well, so I guess preemptive welcome to San Diego to, uh, to Major League Soccer. And I mean, people forget that as far back as you know the late 1900s i guess it would be we had the all-star game there i never forget the all that all-star game down there for two reasons one um because uh, chris albright had just been drafted I, th- I think and i went out one of those nights very very late with a very young chris albright chris albright you will know went on to have a career in mls um went on to play for teams like the galaxy and uh, and others and then, um, and now is in charge over in uh, Cincinnati, what we'll talk about in a little bit. And then the other part was uh, JFK Jr., his plane went down while because it was being broadcast live on ABC and it was preempted. So it ended up not being broadcast live on ABC, the, uh, the All-Star game at that point, because if I remember correctly, JFK Jr.'s plane went down and, and obviously that news preempted um, and all the, uh, all the stations, including ABC, were, uh, were broadcasting about that, uh, that tragedy. Um, all right, what else now? We, uh, let's get some on-the-field stuff. Yep, another action-packed weekend in MLS. We'll whip through some of the games that caught our attention to Vancouver with a 3-2 victory over Minnesota. Brian White with two goals. Simon Betcher got the other. Uh, Vancouver unbeaten in eight MLS games. The Loons suffered defeat, but some good news for them. Emmanuel Reynoso has returned to Minnesota. Looks like he's poised to rejoin the squad. Yeah, I mean, obviously, two bits of news there. You know, Vancouver, which has long been... An- I don't want to say completely irrelevant team, but pretty close to it, making some noise. And we see you, Vancouver, and that's a good thing. I mean, they had an incredible streak. Evidently, they broke the longest streak. Uh, they broke the streak for the longest amount of time without a goal during this game. Now, it ended up letting in two goals, but, uh, but you know, it shows you that they can defend, and it shows you that they can score goals, and ultimately, they, uh, they hung on there, although it was, it, was, uh, it was tense. And then the Reynoso news, hey, baby steps, right? First, you had to get him back into the country, and that was no small feat if, <laughs> if, you, uh, if you talk to anybody uh, from over there. And so that they have gotten this game-changer type of player who has already proven that he understands how to function in MLS back, and at least on soil, <laughs> uh, that's, a, that's a good thing. Now, there is no, t- there is no timeline. They've given no timeline for his return you'd say the sooner the better from a soccer perspective but whatever the hell was going on with this player from a personal perspective that has to be sorted out first before you put him on the field and i think the loons recognize that they have a responsibility to make sure that he has sorted out whatever it was and it was never revealed to any uh, to any of us as to what it actually was but there was obviously a whole lot of crap going on 
behind the scenes and, and off the field when it comes to Reynoso. But the fact that he is back in the country is great. Uh, I can't wait to see him back on the field because it, it only helps Minnesota uh, get better if he comes back with the right mindset and, uh, and is able to, uh, to help them. So what else? Inter-Miami 2-1 win over Atlanta. Joseph Martinez Oof. with both goals against his former club. His first two goals for Inter-Miami. And there are goals 99 and 100 in his MLS regular season career. He's the fastest player to get to 100 goals. He did it in 142 games. I mean, look, this was this was a uh, you know a time machine type of moment. You know, although Phil Neville, who was under pressure, we know that, came out before the game and said um, he's going to score tonight, basically. And even though he didn't start him, he kind of set him up for success in this moment against, by the way, his former team. And for him to come in, get the penalty. It's interesting though, if you watch him hit the penalty, he didn't hit it in the way that he normally hits penalties with that incredibly exaggerated stutter step that he did. This was just kind of fluid and through. Maybe he just said, I just need to put the ball in the back of the net. I don't need to worry about any type of theatrics or, uh, or movements when it, comes to, when it comes to that. And then it was vintage uh, Joseph Martinez making a run behind the back of the defense and you know just timing it perfectly. Does this mean he's back? Uh, I don't know, but this is certainly good for him individually and for the, for the, uh, for the team because they you know, they're desperate. They are desperate for a goal scorer, a consistent goal scorer, and they're desperate for some sort of confidence to both keep them in the running when it comes to the playoffs and to keep him his, uh, his job when it comes to uh, Phil Neville. When uh, Giacomakis picked up that hamstring injury, I saw a tweet that said it wasn't that serious. He wasn't going to miss much time, but he sat out again. So either I misread the tweet or the tweet was wrong, but uh, they do miss him. Uh, yeah, but, you know, suck it up, buttercup. Figure it out. You know, <laughs> what else? Uh, Cincinnati 2-1 home win over D.C. United. Acosta and Barreal with the goals uh, for Cincinnati. D.C. United had been on a nice win streak, so this is a good victory for Cincinnati. Yeah, I mean, I think that this, from a Cincinnati perspective, um, it, was not, it was not about being... There was a grittiness involved, but I think for Pat Noonan, I don't think that he would come off the field and say, yeah, we won, but I didn't like the way that we played. I mean, this is a D.C. United, like you said, that was feeling feeling good. And, I mean, the environment, it's hard on the TV sometimes to capture it. But, I, you know, watching Cincinnati games, you really feel the energy in that building and, and how they, you know, how they love their team, how their team is obviously rewarding them. And then just that, that electricity that, that sometimes doesn't play through a television. But Cincinnati, I've been there, so I know what it is uh, on the field. But I also, when you're watching it, it still plays in terms of uh, what they got. So they got a good thing going there in terms of results uh, and in terms of the environment. San Jose and LAFC, their first MLS defeat of the campaign, 2-1. to one. Christian Espinoza with both San Jose goals. Buanga scored for LAFC, who advanced to the CCL final, but finally go down in Major League Soccer. I mean, it has to happen at a certain point. And it was interesting after the game, Steve Trondolo, Steve head coach of LAFC, and all of the players, I mean, almost to a man, at some point in their interviews after the game, talked about fatigue. And I guess it's kind of just low-hanging fruit and there to pick. I mean, okay, you don't you didn't necessarily lose because of fatigue. You just lost because if you play enough games, eventually you're going to you're going to lose. Again, the environment up there. This was a game that the the San Jose Earthquakes decided to play in Levi Stadium, uh, which holds I don't know eighty thousand or something. They had forty thousand people there, and it and it brings up the question as to why would you play that game there when you're trying to promote and drive people to the stadium, um, relatively new stadium that you have down there. 
and it really comes down to money. You know, you're making what a million dollars, maybe more when it comes to uh, the actual gate that you wouldn't make if you were playing at your own place. And as opposed to thinking long term in the situation, there, there are there are still plenty of owners and I don't begrudge them that say, listen, I'm going to take I'm going to take the quick buck now and the good quick buck now by by uh, doing that. And we'll get to people to our stadium. But, you know, you leveraged LAFC and what LAFC was to get this big crowd. But how many of that crowd either has been to your new stadium or now because of that experience at a completely different stadium is actually going to go? Now, that's the business, the business side. The business, side uh, the business part on the field, they are flying right now. And Christian Espinoza is an MVP candidate and just continues to deliver. This was a well-deserved victory uh, for, San, for San Jose. And if you had... If you had no idea of the standings and had just watched this game, you you would have no idea that LAFC is where they uh, is where they are. And to be fair, San Jose has proven to be a, a good team, but this was a typical MLS type of uh, game where it's impossible to predict. And then the Fox game, one of those go figure results in MLS. Uh, SKC go to Seattle and pick up their first victory of the campaign, two to one. Tommy and Polito with the goals. Uh, did you see this one coming? Only that I've watched so much MLS that it just makes complete, perfect MLS sense in that, you know, this is arguably the best team in the league in Seattle and arguably not, uh, well, arguably, but let's be honest, this is the worst team in the league when it comes to sporting KC playing in Seattle. And of course, it makes complete MLS sense. There's MLS sense and then there's sense, right? It makes complete MLS sense for sporting KC to come in. And by the way, this wasn't a smash and grab. This was a, a, a uh, from Peter, Berm, Peter, Peter Vermes. He got it right. They got the goals that they needed. They killed off the game uh, when they needed. They shut down um, any type of offense when it came to, uh, to Seattle on a continual basis. And yes, Seattle is missing a couple of players, but still that's, uh, that's no ex- excuse. So, and talk about desperation for Peter Vermes. This was exactly what the doctor ordered. I don't know if this is a, jumping off point to, to better things going forward. But in my expert opinion, this is much better than losing something that they have become very accustomed to over this year. So much so that there is absolutely legitimate talk about Peter Vermes being fired. Uh, Keith Costigan called this match for Apple and he made such a big fuss on Twitter about being back in Seattle. It was the return of the prodigal son. So I actually quite enjoyed this result. Uh, Keith Costigan bringing his bad luck to yeah, exactly. Anytime that anytime that happens. Uh, one bonus one. Um, we talked about Joseph Martinez scoring against his former club, Atlanta. <laughs> uh, the soccer gods do have a sense of humor because Kevin Cabral found the back of the net for Colorado in their 3-1 win away to the LA Galaxy. Just when you think the Galaxy <laughs> couldn't get any lower, this is a historic and all-time type of low. To watch that game against Colorado... Uh, was for an old galaxy guy it was disappointing disheartening and maddening at the same time now did it tell me anything new about this galaxy team that is mediocre in goal mediocre in the back mediocre in the midfield and at times can be good but for the most part is is toothless when it comes to the attack no but you're playing at home, you're playing against uh, Colorado, and you just, you, you let them walk all over you. And, you know, this, you know, we talked about, and again, I don't, I don't like or want people to be fired 
but we've talked about this now constantly when it comes to the LA Galaxy. There are other teams that are bad, but I, you know, even they, even ones that have you know worse records. There are other teams in 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 Major League Soccer that are being proactive and are doing things to at least try to stem the tide. To I don't know. I don't. I don't like necessarily doing things just to placate the fans. But when it comes to the galaxy, as I've said time and time again, this is this is this is bad. This is bad for not just the competitive side of it, but this is bad for the uh, for the brand. And congratulations to Robin Frazier to come in and do the business in Los Angeles uh, against the Los Angeles Galaxy and come out with a and not just a win. A commanding three nothing win, one two three, and to your point that Cabral <laughs> scores <laughs> was amazing. A couple of things. Uh, it's been a long time since Alalis scored in that building. Uh, Lalas Abubakar actually got his uh, goal off of a set piece, and then, like you said, Cabral. I mean, it's been a long time since we've seen him actually score, which is why he is not with the Galaxy anymore. Although they're paying his salary, and now he comes back and makes them pay. I mean, the soccer gods do have a sense of humor, and it's bitter at times. And the Galaxy might have to watch their arch rivals win the CCL this year. Um, oh. That's where we'll go next. When well, we hold on, one more, one more thing. Just want to mention uh, a shout out to. Uh, Boy, I had a great segue there, and you okay? Go ahead. Okay. Mm. Right. One more thing before we uh, before we go on, Mossy. Um, shout out to uh, Hani uh, Mukhtar and Nashville. They, you know, he got he got a hat trick. They crushed uh, Chicago, and you know, I know this. The uh, national people will scream and yell that we don't talk about them r- enough. But he is absolutely fr- flying right now. Nothing new because we all know that everything kind of runs through him, which actually makes it that much more impressive that everybody knows that's what's happening, and he still gets out of problems and still contributes on a continual basis and just a a phenomenal signing and a wonderful player for not just for Nashville, but for MLS. When we taped our last podcast on Wednesday, we mentioned LAFC had advanced to the CCL final. We still didn't know who they were going to play because that night was the Leon Tigres second leg. Uh, It will in fact be Leon. They claimed a 3-1 home win in the second leg to earn a 4-3 aggregate triumph. So LAFC versus Leon, First leg, May 31st, is in Mexico, and then second leg, June 4th, is in Los Angeles. The interesting development since then is that Leon lost this past weekend in the Repechaje. They suffered a 3-1 home defeat to Atletico San Luis, who are managed by Brazilian Andrés Jardini, the manager who led Brazil to the Olympic gold medal two years ago. Uh, and that means Leon will now have a 24-day layoff. Uh, they will not play again until the first leg of the CCL final, May 31st. So there's a lot of debate on Twitter over whether that's a good or bad thing, it's but bad thing. it, it is an interesting thing. curveball. It's a bad, it's a bad thing. Uh, I mean, I actually, I was, I was heartened to hear some players, and I can't remember where I read it, uh, just over this last week. And it's, it's nothing new necessarily, talking about how I would just rather play every week. Ubuanga uh, from LAFC talking about how he would just rather play two games every week and just play, play, play. And he's proven that he does that. I mean, hell, the guy flew, flew back from you know, thousands and thousands of miles and still jumped on uh, in the field. I, I, I don't think that this is a good thing for, uh, for any player or team to have 24 days off. And you can say, yeah, you can heal up and you can kind of get yourself straight and stuff like that. No, it's, that, is, that is way too much. And again, this just sets it up for LAFC, to your point, to win the trophy and be the representative from CONCACAF when it comes to the uh, the Club World Cup. And I think it would be a, yeah, it would be a failure now given every, even the way that it's set up and you get to play the second game at home, which by the way, I think we should go to. Um, it's right in our backyard here and that would be fun to see 
a potential, uh, you know, moment in history when it comes to LAFC and MLS and U.S. soccer. Yeah, we have three weeks to marinate on this. We'll see what kind of form LAFC is in and if they pick up any injuries. But right now, I think they're clear-cut favorites to win this final, which would make it two in a row for MLS. And you look at the U.S.-Mexico rivalry as a whole, U.S. national team unbeaten in the last five meetings, three wins, two draws. They beat Mexico in the Nations League final, in the Gold Cup final, went farther in the World Cup. And if LAFC make it two in a row in CCL, we do have this U.S.-Mexico Nations League semifinal coming up, but there's a chance here for the U.S. to really underline how much they've gained the upper hand here as a soccer nation. It also, I think, would add more fuel to the uh, the upcoming, what, the, what do we call in the, uh, the league? Uh, the, uh, Leagues Cup. Leagues Ooh. Cup coming, you know, this 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 incredibly large month-long tournament that is happening smack dab in the middle of the MLS season where they will stop play that involves all MLS teams and all Liga MX teams. And so I, I think that's a good thing, ultimately. One last thought on Tigres. They assembled this super squad on paper. They hired a very good manager in Diego Coca. And then just a few games into the season, he gets hired by Mexico to be their national team boss. And they never really recovered. I still kept trying to talk them up as this juggernaut that if you're an MLS team, you don't want to see Tigres in the final. But they really they were a great team in theory, but never in practice this season. So they bow out of CCL, which is very disappointing for them. They are still in Liga MX. They won their Repechaja game. They beat Puebla 1-0. They now face Toluca in the quarterfinals. So we'll see. Maybe they can go on a run in Liga MX and win it and salvage this season. But as of right now, it feels like a major disappointment, big letdown this Tigres campaign. All right. So we'll look forward to uh, that, like you said, in the next two, three weeks here. What should we finish up on? We finish up with the U.S. Open Cup. Uh, MLS Commissioner Don Garber had some interesting comments that have sparked lots of reaction. Yeah, I mean, so keep in mind, uh, Lamar Hunt, U.S. Open Cup, over 100 years of history. Um, we're, we're, we're just getting into the round of 32 and the final round when MLS teams show up in it. And so it's the, I guess it's the business end here. And for, for decades, people have been, you know, racking their brains and scratching their heads as to how to properly promote this and market this and make it something bigger. And keep in mind, this is the only opportunity that we have to kind of intermingle in a competitive environment with the leagues because there is no promotion uh, uh, relegation. There is the carrot of uh, CONCACAF Champions League uh, to, uh, to the winner. But for the most part, I mean, not for the most part, since 1999 or whatever it is, it's been all MLS in terms of the teams that are winning it. Uh, you know, these, these comments from Don Garber were, were interesting in that he was making them at the, uh, the board of uh, directors meeting. He's on the board of directors of the United States Soccer Federation. And he is, and has sat on that board for a long time. And U.S. soccer is in charge of putting on the U.S. Open Cup. And he said... Uh, regarding the games. And this was as in a response to a report that was being put um, forth to the board as to where they were when it came to U.S. Uh, Open Cup. And keep in mind that this was public. This was actually streamed. So Don Garber or anybody else knew that people were watching, that this was going to be recorded, and this could potentially have... Uh, ramifications in terms of what you what you said. So he said, um, I would say that they're not, talking about the Open Cup games, they're not games that we, and I think in that instance, while he's talking about the United States Soccer Federation, it's impossible for Don Garber not to take off his MLS hat. I would say that they're not games that we would want our product to be shown to a large audience. So frankly, I'm not all that disappointed that the audience is small. So I appreciate the enthusiasm about it, but we need to get better with the U.S. Open Cup. 
It's just not the proper reflection of what soccer in America at the professional level needs to be. And then for some perspective, he said, it's a very poor reflection on what we're trying to do with soccer at the highest level. And he even said, the games are hard to find. I'm telling you as an actual viewer. And he said, the reaction from our ownership, from our team presidents, and even our fans in terms of even being able to find the games, the quality of games, some of the games that we've been playing are on subpar fields. So basically, he came in you know, uh, from the top rung, shall we say, on not just not the U.S. Cup, but the, the production and the presentation of the U.S. Cup. And in that sense, you know, that's, I guess, his job, and that is, that is, that is good. However, you know, this, this is also you know, Don Garber, who is in charge of Major League Soccer, and you can't help think, is he actually worried about the way it reflects on U.S. soccer or the way it reflects on Major League Soccer? And also, by the way, not for nothing, Don, but uh, New York uh, and NYCFC continues to play in a baseball field with a you know, a uh, foul, uh, you know, line going through this screen and all, and the mound up there and all that. You got the uh, New England Revolution that continue to play on football up there in turf, as do Seattle. You got uh, Charlotte. You got plenty of presentations that don't necessarily make the product look, uh, look good when it comes to Major League Soccer. And I think also, while I, while I, I, I agree that you want to improve the presentation, Part of what an open cup is, is that romance, is that, you know, David and Goliath type of struggle, is that, you know, haves and have nots, is, you know, the, uh, like I said, the romance of going to some of these places and some of these environments that, no, they're not your soccer specific stadiums. They're, they're, they're not set up to be, or, you know, when it's Detroit City or, or, or anybody else, they're different. You have trains going through the back. That's part of the allure. Like I said, that's part of the romance that you have to accept in a, in a tournament like this. Now, more money and more marketing and more focus on it. Whose responsibility is that? It's U.S. soccer's. All right. And Don Garber, in his capacity in this moment, all right, as on the board of directors, I think it's on him and everybody up there, but it's also on him to make sure that it gets done right. And you have the ability to make sure it gets done in a better way. So I don't know what the strategy was from Don Garber in this moment, other than to say it has to improve. But if it's going to improve, Don, you and everybody sitting up there and everybody working at U.S. Soccer, you're the ones that can improve it. And if you don't want to improve it or you don't think that it's a good look for U.S. Soccer, and in parentheses, MLS, because that's the hat you have on, then get rid of it, which would be a shame, would be a crying shame and sad. But I think that there is something there if you actually have the desire and the motivation to do it. I agree. I found these comments very off-putting and elitist for him to talk about how it's a bad look for MLS clubs to be playing these hokey stadiums and bad field. As you mentioned, that's part of the charm of this competition. And you know, we can have a separate debate about whether the United States should have pro-rel. We don't want to go down that rabbit hole. But the fact is, by not having it, you are diminishing these lower leagues, these lower clubs. So you're sort of contributing to the fact that them, them having to play in those stadiums in a, way, in a manner of speaking, you know, so it's... And look, I, I, I've been around a long time. You've been around, around a long time. You don't have to be around a long time to understand that people in positions of power, they have motives and they have ulterior motives. And that's not, that's not a cynical 
That's a human way of looking at things. And so Don Garber, his bread and butter and his priority in his work life is always going to be MLS. So even when he's sitting on the board of directors of U.S. soccer, it's with an eye to helping, yes, soccer in general. But as long as it makes sure as it helps MLS and doesn't hurt MLS. And that's really where the interesting, I guess, moment or conversation discussion would be is if something was to be done by U.S. soccer that hurt MLS but helped soccer in general, would Don Garber or anybody in that position um, having a connection vote and support uh, a decision or an action that was actually against their best interests when it comes to their representation, in this case, uh, a league like Major League Soccer? But, you know, this is this is nothing new. This is politics. This is human beings. Uh, this is, you know, the uh, I guess the incestuous nation, nature of uh, of soccer. And it's not just soccer. It's of all business uh, business out there. And it and it doesn't mean that I think Don Garber doesn't doesn't want what is good for soccer or isn't making decisions and doesn't believe in doing, quote unquote, the right thing here. But. You, I don't think I think it's impossible for Don to separate MLS from U.S. soccer, and I don't think he cares, and I don't think he wants to, and that's okay because he's a human being. Uh, anything else, Mossy? That's it. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we got all sorts of games and uh, scores that happened over the weekend uh, overseas, and we'll take a trip around Europe and maybe some other places. Don't go anywhere. It's only a kick, a jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Okay, welcome back. Uh, All right, some interesting stuff happening over in Europe uh, when it comes to both the title race on one end and the uh, relegation I don't know if it's a race, but uh, <laughs> competition down at the other end. Where do you want to start? Yeah, so those two, the title race and the relegation battle, intersected at the Etihad this past weekend. Manchester City claimed a 2-1 win over Leeds in Sam Allardyce's first match as Leeds boss Ilkay Gundogan scored both goals. Uh, City were up 2-0, cruising, and they earned the penalty. Holland let Gundogan take it so he could complete his hat trick, but he missed Pep was furious at Holland. He felt like at 2-0, you shouldn't be screwing around like that. Your best penalty kick taker should take it. Um, and then, lo and behold, Rodrigo came back and scored at the other end. So in a match where City had 80-something percent possession and completely dominated, they actually had to sweat out the last few minutes of this one, but they did pick up those three points. All right. Well, uh, in, the, uh, in the discussion and or feud as to how good Sam Allardyce actually is, um, if Pep can't even get his players to do what he wants them to do on the field, then obviously he, he is a subpar type of manager. I thought it was kind of performative. I mean, if if the Gundogan penalty had gone in and he had gotten his hat trick, would, would Pep have really cared ultimately? I mean, I don't, it just it just seemed a little strange. And I think Pep used it in that moment. And, and we've talked about this before. There is a theatrical aspect and a performative aspect of managers on the sideline in terms of how they act and what they do and what they say. And I'm not saying they're not human and emotional, but they understand that the cameras are on them and they might use that to their advantage to to make a point. But, you know, 
that I, I don't that Erlen Holland didn't take the penalty and gave it to Gundogan to to take to get the you know the third goal. Like I was flying, and I and I get why you want Erlen Holland to uh, to take it. But the only reason I think that he was angry or that he then wanted and wanted to make a point of of telling. Erlen Holland, he should have taken it was because he missed it, because Gunduan missed. And it does show Holland's altruism because, you know, strikers are all about scoring goals and Holland is setting all these records. And the fact that he would let Gunduan take it, I think, reflects well on him. It, it does, except I think if Pep were here, he would say, no, I want ruthlessness. I don't want you. I want you to be greedy. And that's what makes the best players in the world. I think that's what Pep would say. And, I, and, I, and in that sense, maybe I do agree with that. That I would have had no problem if Erlen Holland stepped up, took the ball, and said, "Fuck no! I am putting this in the back of the net. I don't care if you're on a penalty. I don't care if you're having the game of your life. I'm not being altruistic or anything like that. I'm being ruthless, and I'm saying I'm putting this in because I live off of goals, and I don't care how they come. I don't care when they come. I don't care at whose expense they may come. I am taking this, and I think that's where uh, that's where I can get on board with what Pep uh, was." maybe trying to say. And they're, we're taping this Monday morning. There are all sorts of games going on today that impact Leeds. They got a good result this morning with Fulham hammering Leicester. Uh, right now, as we speak, Everton are 1-0 up on Brighton. That's not good for Leeds. And then later on, Nottingham Forest uh, face Southampton. So I can't really tell you where Leeds are in the table because by the time you hear this podcast... Well, yeah, exactly. By the time you hear it, you know this, will, this could have changed. But right now, as we sit, if everything ended today, Leeds are in the relegation zone uh, and Leicester above them and Ever Everton above them, Nottingham Forest and Southampton below. But this, could this is going to change by the end, uh, the end of the day. All of this, all of this is... It's problematic for Leeds. And this if they stay up, they're gonna need another type of miracle as they did uh as they did last year, which is why they, you know, they brought in Sam. On Sunday, Arsenal 2-0 winners away to Newcastle. Give Arsenal credit. I did not think they were gonna win this game. Odegaard and an own goal accounted for the scoring. Arsenal one point back of City, but City have played one fewer game. Uh Premier League pundits are still really talking up the title race, and I don't blame them. Uh, but I'm so convinced City are going to win it that I actually found this result more interesting from a top four perspective. Do you know how on election night sometimes they award a state to a candidate and then later on they pull it back? We looked at the numbers again. It's yep. closer than we realize. A couple of and by the way, they 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 subvert democracy when when that happens. By the way, because it can have an incredible effect on. Uh on on voting. I agree. I wish so. they would always okay. just wait for all the votes to come in and then uh, count them. Um, well, a couple of podcasts ago, I proclaimed the top four race over in England. Well, I am pulling it back because results since then have gone completely against that. Newcastle lost this match. Manchester United lost 1-0 away to West Ham. Uh, Davi De Gea with an absolute howler for the West Ham goal. And Liverpool have ripped off six straight victories. So Liverpool have creeped to within three points of Newcastle, one point of Manchester United. Now, both those teams have played one fewer game than Liverpool, and they have relatively easy schedules. So my money is still on them getting it, but it's clearly not over. Liverpool are making this very interesting. Yeah. I mean, so first off, the Arsenal win, I think, was very impressive, uh, to your point. This was the game, and I, I can't remember who they have next, but this was the toughest game, I think, and the game that I think a lot of people, if they thought going down the stretch here, they were going to they were going to lose and they looked like in terms of the confidence they looked like the arsenal that we had seen earlier in the season and look we know that a season is peaks and valleys and ups and downs and this is an arsenal team that's kind of going through this 
for their first time. And maybe in this now new position of chasers, they just feel that much more comfortable because Newcastle is a good team. All right. And for them to get that result is huge. But you still think you, th- you still think it's not so much as a title race as the, the race for the top four that's going to that, that's going to change, even though they're one point back, albeit uh, Man City has a game in hand, which you think that they are going to win out. Um, and so, yeah. All right. So I, I, I understand what you're saying. Arsenal's next game, incidentally, home to Brighton. But yeah, I'm very convinced City are going to win the title. And like I said, my money is still on Newcastle and Manchester United finishing in the top four. But I just think Liverpool have made it interesting when uh, a couple of pods ago I said it's over, no chance. But I think there is a chance now. So we'll keep an eye on that as well. And then the title race in Germany, the uh, latest chapter there. Dortmund with a 6-0 home win over uh, Wolfsburg. Jude Bellingham and Karim Adeyemi, each with two goals. Uh, Gio came on in the second half, so an emphatic victory for them. I was watching uh, my old friend uh, Alejandro Moreno on the uh, ESPN broadcast of uh, that game, and I think at halftime he came on and said it would not surprise him if it was six nothing, and ended up it ended up being that. And you know, it was an, it was an ass whooping. It was it was I guess beautiful to see from a Dortmund perspective, and obviously keeps that close, um, but. I mean, we we have a we have a title race, which is a good thing no matter what happens. But if I took all of your money right now, are you are you still putting on a Bayern Munich? I am, uh, particularly after they won this weekend as well. Bayern Munich with a two one victory away to Werder Bremen, Gnabry and Leroy Sané with the goals. So the weekend ends with Bayern still one point ahead and now three games to go. I will say I think Bayern have the slightly tougher schedule. They still have to play Leipzig, mm-hmm. so Dortmund do do have that in their favor. But yeah, if I was a betting man, I'd, I'd pick Bayern to win the title. So Schalke, Leipzig, and Cologne for uh, for Bayern Munich, and Gladbach, Augsburg, and Mainz for Dortmund. I mean, can't you can't mess up. I mean, this is kind of also what you want. You want to have it going down to the uh, to the end, and I think it will. So that's a uh, that's a good thing. What else? And then in Syria on Thursday, Napoli clinched the title with a 1-1 draw away to Udinese. Osiman with the goal. So that set off wild celebrations among their fans, including rush the field in Udinese, which led to some uh, fisticuffs. It was crazy. But I mean, uh, you knew it was going to be crazy. Yes. Uh, and then uh, Napoli won again at the weekend, 1-0 at home to Fiorentina. Osiman with the winner there. So they got to celebrate in their stadium. So happy few days here for Napoli. It's their first Scudetto since Diego Maradona inspired triumph in 1990. And, and wonderful scenes, you know, drones, uh, drone video footage of the city. And the. I, I once flew back to L.A., uh, somewhere from the south. I can't remember where I was coming from, but I was flying up the coast to LAX on the night of July 4th. And you would just see out your window, because I was on that side, just, you know, what looked like, uh, you know, a war, but it wasn't. It was just people putting off fireworks. And so whether it was the um, the legit fireworks presentations done by cities and municipalities and stuff like that, or private fireworks going off, it was just constant all the way. And that's exactly what it reminded me when I saw the, uh, the drone shots of, uh, of Napoli. And so the party is probably still going on and certainly there's plenty of uh, hangovers going on, but, but, and rightly so when you do something like that, that hasn't been done in so long, you, you deserve to celebrate. And we've talked about how, you know, Napoli being in the South of, uh, of Italy really looks at themselves as unique and it's a beautiful city, wonderful city, wonderful people, and very different 
in many ways than the rest of uh, Italy in terms of you know the way the way they speak, the way they act, and even their their soccer and their their soccer idols. We've talked about Maradona and what he he has meant. So congratulations uh, to Napoli, and not just winning it, but winning it outright. Uh, Real Madrid won the Copa del Rey this past weekend, 2-1 victory over Osasuna. Rodrigo with both goals. Uh, Vinicius was sensational. I bring that up to segue into the UEFA Champions League uh, because, again, we're taping this on a Monday. Tuesday is a match that everyone's been salivating over. Real Madrid, Manchester City, first leg at the Bernabeu. Uh, we've had plenty of time to marinate on this one. I'm picking City to advance. I think you're picking Real Madrid. Really? Yes. Yes, I'm staying with Real Madrid. For, uh, first legs in uh, Madrid. Correct. Right? Mm, interesting. Okay. Um, I mentioned Vinicius had a, another spectacular game at the weekend against Osasuna. He's been in incredible form. The Madrid media, now some of this is saltiness over Mbappe not going there, but they've really been pushing this angle that Vinicius is right up there with Mbappe and Holland, that it's a big three. They think he's now to the point where he needs to be included in best player in the world conversations. So it is interesting that he's going up against Holland in this tie, you know, would be kind of see who who can outshine who. Okay, so if, that, if I mean, if, if people are saying that he should be in the conversation for best player in the world. Is he right now the best Brazilian in yes, the world? Without, yes, I mean, I without question. Shout, especially with Neymar hurt and, yeah, and out and absolutely. stuff like that. All right, so nobody is better or playing better than him right now from a Brazilian perspective. And you can even argue, as some have, that from a player perspective, just in general, he should be up there. And it's interesting because Pep has fallen in love with this. It's like a 3-2-4-1 formation where City don't really play with a right back anymore. So in defending Vinicius, that's going to be interesting. Now, they did just fine against Martinelli, who recently who's kind of a poor man's Vinicius. So they do have ways for different players to cover those spaces. John Stones can drift over there, one of the center backs. But nevertheless, it'll be the first time I've seen Vinicius play in a while where there's not like a one-on-one matchup right. between him and a right back. So that's going to be interesting. I wonder what Sam Allardyce would do. <laughs> <laughs> and then, by the way, the other Brazilian, Rodrigo, I mentioned, scored both goals this past weekend, scored both goals in Real Madrid's last Champions League game away to Chelsea, and famously came off the bench to score two goals against Manchester City in the semifinal second leg last year. He's in great form as well. So, yeah, I'm very excited for this matchup. It should be incredible. And then the other Champions League semifinal, an all-Italian affair, That's AC awesome. Milan versus Inter Milan. And obviously in the same stadium, and so they just switch uh, from week to week. Yeah, and they're currently in a battle for top four. Inter is fourth. They're two points ahead of Milan, who are fifth. So it's interesting that parallel to that, they're now playing head-to-head because obviously the other path to getting to next season's Champions League would be to win this one. Um, yeah, the top four race in, in Italy is crazy. Both teams had nice wins this past weekend. AC Milan beat Lazio 2-0. Inter won 2-0 away to Roma. So they're going into this in good form. I mean, I, I never you know, obviously played in a situation like this. And it must, it must be a, a, a strange dynamic, although it won't be a surprise to either of these teams because they will have been through it when you're playing in your home stadium as an away game because obviously they, uh, they, uh, they share it. But so I don't think either team is going to be faced. So I don't know where the advantage ultimately is. Uh, Serginio Dest, not in AC Milan's Champions League squad. There is one U.S. international involved in European semifinal competition. Do you know who it is? Who do we got? Uh, 
Georgi Mihailovic, Azed, oh, Azed Alkmar, they face West Ham in the Conference League semis. The other semifinal. Well, that's not even the NIT. That's no. the one below yes. that, right? The other semifinal there, Fiorentina Basel. And then in the Europa League or the NIT, as you just called it, it's Sevilla Juventus, Roma versus Leverkusen, which is Jose Mourinho versus Xabi Alonso. So some interesting matchups in the other competitions as well. And we have an American to keep an eye on. So, so I, I, I can't remember who you picked, AC Milan or Inter. Uh, boy, it's really a 50 I'm going AC Milan. I'll go Inter. Okay, perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Wonderful. Uh, anything else, my friend? That's it. All right, let's take another quick break. When we come back, it's time for Ask Alexa. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, welcome back. It's uh, time for Ask Alexi, that part of the show where you send us in your questions, comments, concerns. You can use, uh, you know, the social media platforms that we have out there. And keep in mind that our handle on the social media platforms is SOTU with Lexi. Or you can call into our State of the Union podcast hotline, which is 657-549-2297. Use that hashtag Ask Alexi if you are sending stuff in on uh, social media or hashtag Mossy. Well, what do the folks want to know this week, Mossy? And we have a voicemail. Let's take a listen right now. Hey, Mossy and Alexi, this is Gio from uh, Illinois. Just had a quick question for you guys. Um, I noticed like a trend with a lot of American players that when there's a coaching change in Europe, uh, it almost seems like their role on the team has either moved to the bench or their specific role within the team that's changed. Do you think that's more of a, um, you know, biasy against American players or you know, more of a coaching philosophy change because it's like, you know, players like Tyler Adams who come from Leipzig and couldn't even find his correct position there and then he gets Jesse March over there at Leeds and then now he's going to Manchester United or possibly, you know, a big six team just doesn't make much sense. But uh, appreciate the podcast and uh, looking forward to your response. Thanks. Okay. Uh, Thank you, Gio from Illinois. So first off, not just in soccer, but in any sport, uh, you better quickly come to terms with uh, the reality that you will play for multiple coaches. Um, you will play for coaches that you like. You will play for coaches that you don't like. You will play for coaches that like you, and you will play for coaches that uh, don't like you. And you have to be able to prove time and time again your worth. Uh in this situation or any situation involving a U.S. player or not, the coach comes in. <laughs> I'm assuming the coach is human. And so that coach is coming in with their baggage and bias. Um, and and that's, that's normal. You have to expect that. And coaches have their favorites. Coaches will bring in players that they trust over established players and stars. I, I don't necessarily think, Gio from Illinois, that new coaches automatically um, change the situation for U.S. players or put players in a, a problematic type of situation simply because that they are American players. You know, we've talked long about, you know, some of the preconceived notions and the biases and the, and the baggage that 
you know, either coaches, managers around the world may have relative to the American game and therefore American players. And some of that is, you know, an insecurity that has started to dissipate over the years and that inferiority complex. So some of it's on the players and they're seeing things that maybe they just want to see, even though they might not be there. And some of it is absolutely true. But suck it up, Buttercup. This is the way that it, that it goes. And you have to prove your worth. And what I have found, and we talked earlier, that coaches and managers, while they are hired to be fired, they want to be successful. And they don't give a crap ultimately who is on the field. If you are going to help them keep their job, you will play and they will play you. You might not get all the opportunities or as many opportunities as others because of where you're from uh, or your reputation or your behavior ultimately. But when you get those opportunities, if you're good and you're going to help them keep their job, they're, they're going to keep you on the field. You know, I was uh, reflecting recently on Christian Pulisic's time at Chelsea, and this will actually lead us perfectly into our next question. But, um, And I think part of the problem is that he never had a manager that took ownership of him. Because you might recall when Chelsea agreed a deal with Dortmund to acquire Christian Pulisic, Maurizio Sarri was the coach at the time. And he was interviewed after Chelsea's next game, after that news broke. And he was asked about it. And he said, I have no clue about this. I guess this was a team signing. I didn't ask for him. And then Sadi was gone at the end of the season. Lampard came in. Then you had Tuchel and Potter and... Uh, you know, now it sounds like it's going to be Pochettino. But you know what I mean? There, there was never that coach who was like, I'm the guy that asked for Pulisic. I'm the guy that convinced the club to spend money on him. So I feel a sense of ownership and a sense of I better yeah. make this work or it reflects poorly on me. Every coach he's had at Chelsea has sort of had this attitude of, well, I didn't sign him. And so, you know, it's not on me if it doesn't work out. And that does matter. I mean, watching Manchester United this season... Eric Ten Hag's lineup decisions are clearly influenced by that. The amount of chances that players like Anthony and Wout Weghers get because they're players that he asked for, uh, there's, there's clearly a sense on his part that sure. I better, I better and make these so guys And so that loyalty that you're talking about, it, it, that exists probably in a lot of walks of life, but certainly exists in soccer. You have your guys. And there does come a point from a player perspective where if you see that it doesn't really matter ultimately what you, you do, that you are not part of their plans, you go elsewhere and you will not be the first nor the last player to be faced with that uh, type of that type of situation. So, Gio, uh, it's, it's a it's a good question. And that it's a fascinating dynamic that happens when you have a new manager, new coach uh, that comes in and how he or she approaches meeting with the players and what they tell you. Some will come in. And right off the bat, it doesn't matter. And it, they, they will raise their hand. This is still from afar. You're gone. And they just want to clean house. They just they don't want to have to deal with whatever was left over. They want a clean slate. And that's completely fair and understandable. You just don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. But to your point, when it comes to um, Christian or any other place, yeah, you want, you want coaches to have your back. And I would think more often than not, you're going to get the best out of a player if that player feels like you are supportive and you want that player to do well and you want that player to be here as opposed to, I didn't sign him, I don't know why he's here and I'm just going to kind of make do along the way. Uh, so that leads us into a Twitter question. Uh, since we're all pretty convinced Pulisic might have to leave Chelsea at the end of the season, at MozKit8 uh, asks, where will Pulisic end up next season and why is it the LA Galaxy? <laughs> uh, so he's you know putting out vibes there. Um, okay, so you know Christian Pulisic, like you said, it's been up and down when it's come to his Chelsea move. 
and he's had good times and bad. And certainly we're in a place right now where I think if he's honest with himself, I think he would recognize, as a lot of people do, at least on the outside, that he does not necessarily have the future that he would want when it comes to Chelsea. Now, having said that, this is an incredible talent. I think that if he is going to and wants to move, there are going to be plenty of suitors out there for this type of player coming into the prime of his career. So he'll be 25 come, uh, uh, come September. Um, I think he's going to have lots of options uh, over in Europe. Keep in mind, this is a player that went over when he was 15 to Europe, had stars in his eyes and ambition, and did things that we had never seen before, whether it was actually on the field with Dortmund and, uh, and Chelsea or the price tag attached to him. And it has been successful, wildly successful, I don't know, but certainly successful in, when you look at it in terms of uh, the history of American players going overseas. Um, as I said, I think he's going to have lots of options should he want to go elsewhere, whether it's in uh, England or any place else in uh, Europe. But to your point uh, about the LA Galaxy, I think if the LA Galaxy wanted to act like a super club again, they would make a run at him and they would use him like they used Beckham to signal their intention and signal their ambition and prove to not just the country, but to the world that they want to do big, bold, dare I say, arrogant things to reestablish uh, themselves. And yeah, if that ever were to happen to the Galaxy, if Christian were to go to the Galaxy or any team in MLS. By the way, this applies to any team in MLS. If they really wanted to make a big, bold, dramatic statement, signing Christian Pulisic would be one, especially in the prime of his career. Now, if Christian Pulisic decided that that is something that he would want to do, yeah, he would get a whole sorts of crap uh, from... Uh, by the way, it would be. I think he would get uh, criticism and crap from both people that hate MLS and people that love MLS, that would just see this as so beyond the pale and almost capitulation. Is that fair? No. But, you know, I said that earlier this morning, I was responding to this on, on Twitter, and I said, I think that Christian Pulisic has a lot of Landon Donovan in him, in that I think, I think he thinks about himself, I think he thinks about the game, I think he thinks about life and the world in a little different way. And so I don't put it past him from actually thinking that this could be something that he would want to do. And I know I'm on the outside and you know he and this this and by the way, if he were to do something like that, it doesn't mean he's not ambitious. It doesn't mean he doesn't want to win. It doesn't mean he doesn't have a competitive fire. It just means that maybe he wants to do something different and he could continue to star for the national team regardless of what people say. And like I said, it would be a big bold type of statement for the LA Galaxy or any other team to make. Now, the LA Galaxy is still uh, hamstrung right now because of the restrictions, uh, because of their violations. So I don't think they could do this necessarily this, uh, th this summer, but other teams could do it. And the LA Galaxy, ultimately, like I said, they need to do something big if they really want to prove to me and to the rest of the world that they are that super club that they purport to be and have since they first started. That's it. All right. Thank you uh, for the question to Moz Kid 8 
And uh, obviously, Gio from Illinois, uh, sending in your voicemail on the uh, State of the Union podcast hotline, 657-549-2297. Keep them coming. Uh, we love them. We'll take another quick break. When we come back, it's the end of our show. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Okay, welcome back. It's the end of our show, and at the end of each and every show, I give you my one for the road. Uh, this one for the road, I'd like to take a little time to talk about and congratulate, first and foremost, uh, the 2023 U.S. Soccer Hall of Fame class. And this includes uh, Landon Donovan, our friend uh, and colleague, Demarcus Beasley, our friend and colleague, Jill Ellis, uh, the great coach, uh, Hope Solo, who actually was inducted, well, uh, was awarded last year, but deferred it for a year. And so she goes in this year. Kate Sombrero Margraf, uh, fellow Michigander, and uh, we know her from uh, working um, and being in uh, in charge of the U.S. Women's National Team and an incredible uh, uh, career on the field. And then goal-scoring great Steve Zungo. I'll talk about him in a second, because also uh, late great friend, colleague, uh, Grant Wall uh, was put in. He won the Colin Jose uh award that is awarded to a member of the media each and every year and certainly fitting and well-deserved uh, from uh, for Grant Wall and everything that he did for uh, for the game in terms of his uh, his coverage. Uh, quick uh, quick point on Steve Zungle, the uh, lord of all indoors. Uh, I posted this. This, this poster, Mossy, um, you will not have had this, but if you grew up in the 80s, in America. Uh, indoor soccer was a thing, and it inevitably found you. And if it did, it usually was in the form of a poster like this. A lot of kids will have grown up in the U.S. with this picture of Steve Zungle on their wall. Or if you went into any of the soccer shops, and look, not every community <laughs> had soccer shops, but if they were there, you would see this poster there. And it was ubiquitous within the uh, within the game. And he scored. I mean, his story. Go back and and check it out. It's just an amazing story. And a lot of people will look at this this lineup of Hall of Fame class of twenty three, and we'll be reading down. You see Landon, Demarcus, and you know all of these these names that have instant recognition. And then you'll get to Steve Zungle and like, well, well, who's that? And look, timing in life is everything. But when he came about, I'm glad that he is going into the, the Soccer Hall of Fame because there is a history when it comes to soccer, as we say. And if you take the time to research, research it, it's incredibly um, colorful and robust and interesting. And indoor soccer is a huge part of that history. And as a matter of fact, it kind of kept soccer going at some real down times. And a guy like Steve Zungle, who made his name in indoor soccer, although he played uh, certainly outdoor and uh, was a wonderful outdoor player. This permeated at a time when we didn't have social media and we didn't have instant information at our fingertips. And so getting to the masses and getting to the soccer people out there wasn't always, it wasn't always easy. 
And, you know, this this poster, like I said, yes, it represented Steve Zungel, but it, to a kid growing up in the 80s, it represented that there was a soccer out there, even though I couldn't necessarily on a daily basis touch it and feel it and taste it. It was there. And so in essence, this poster and Steve Zungel and the like, even through indoor soccer, they gave us hope. And that was that's a good thing. And the list, you know, you know Tattoo and, uh, you know, the late, great Fernando Clavijo. And, and the list goes on and on and on of these incredible indoor soccer players who not just scored goals, but kept the flame of soccer in the United States lit at a time where it, there was some concern as to whether it was going to be uh, extinguished. And so I'm glad that the United States, uh, uh, the U.S. Soccer Hall of Fame class is representative of that part of history. And as you get further and further, there are going to be less and less of these types of players uh, involved. And that's not to take anything away from all of the other greats, uh, greats that we have. But, you know, we all stood on the shoulder of folks and whether it's me or anybody else out there. And so congratulations to everybody, including Steve Zungel, uh, the lord of all indoors, a goal scoring machine and a vital piece of American soccer history. This is quite the class. Yes. I mean, you've got Landon Donovan, know, DeMarcus right? Beasley, Joe Ellis, Hope Solo. I mean, it's uh, some, some I mean, real heavy hitters. All there. of these folks have made a undeniable mark on the game. And, and let's be honest, continue to do so. DeMarcus Beasley, remember, worked on the Fox uh, Soccer Twitter show at yes. this most recent World Cup. Award winning. Do you think in his induction speech, he thanks Sean Sullivan? I doubt that Sean made the cut when it comes to you know people that have changed his life fundamentally. I mean, while Sean has changed our lives fundamentally, and DeMarcus is a little... Uh, but, you know, if, if he's lucky enough to continue on in any capacity going forward and we use him, maybe Sean will have that dramatic impact on a consistent basis and therefore at some point in the future he'll recognize him. I looked at the numbers. Landon Donovan, is he a Hall of Famer? Eh, it depends. It, de- <laughs> it, de- it depends. Um, all right. We've come to the end of our show. Thank you so much uh, for uh, tuning in, for reviewing and rating and subscribing and doing all the different things that you do. We will be back again later on the week in the week for our second show. Uh, as we mentioned, there's Champions League. There's all sorts of stuff uh, that's happening going forward. So enjoy your soccer. We will talk to you again later on in the week. Keep sending us those questions either on uh, Twitter and all the social media platforms out there using that hashtag AskAlexi or Send in the question as we uh, had this week from Geo from Illinois on our State of the Union podcast hotline, which is 657-549-2297. We'll talk to you, as I said, later on in the week. And until then, and as always, my friends, size the 